Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli and I am the firstborn elder, but I'm going to get killed off off screen and will only find out by the process of elimination. Hi, I'm Andrew Weissel. I'm going to go on a space adventure, but then I'm going to get turned into a boat. Hi, I'm Carrie Palladia Morris, and I just like to sleep and get woken <laughs> up and then go to sleep again. Or get dead. Or get deaded, yeah, that's the thing. You, you gotta go to sleep first, though, so that you're nice and well-rested for when you eventually get killed. <laughs> so, we have a lot to talk about today. We had originally thought this was gonna be a mailbag episode. Uh, that didn't happen, because there was only a week between um, between stories this time around. So, we want to talk about the global series Jiang Yangu and Mu Yanling. Uh, I hope I pronounced those more or less correctly. I couldn't find an adequate pronunciation, especially for the uh, proper names there, which I believe are Yangu and Yenling. But there are a few really, well, I mean, honestly, this whole, f- the whole global series set is pretty awesome. But uh, there are a few I wanted to call out, especially. Uh, the first one was Heavenly Chilin. Uh, which is like the Kirin that you've seen on Kamigawa and a few other places. Tarkir. It, Tarkir, thank you. It notes that the Chilin crosses between the celestial and earthly worlds, which is kind of a similar conceit to Kamigawa's mortal and spirit realms, but not entirely. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a different twist. It's not just spirits. It's like the... And it's it's almost similar to like... From the sounds of it, it sounds very similar to like Theros and Nyx, like that kind of celestial relationship there. But we also have like no world building details about the plane that these <laughs> yeah. characters are from. So, I mean, we're, we're bare bones off of flavor text mostly in a short little article about the making of the product. But uh seems cool. Yeah, it really does. Uh, the other card I wanted to talk about was Ancestor Dragon which uh, it birthed the Phoenix and the Chilin, uh, which I thought was a pretty cool conceit. This whole product is rooted in Chinese folklore and mythology. So, like, like I saw someone question why the Phoenix card doesn't return from the graveyard like Magic's other Phoenixes. And oh, good point. that's because firebirds in Chinese folklore don't have that ability. They're they're similar creatures, but are have totally different mythological significance from the Egyptian and Greek phoenixes. So it was it was cool to see this product take very specific Chinese creatures. A lot of the beasts in this set are are more are inspired from those kind of really endemic creatures but then we have a very chinese dragon which is a, a white card instead of magic usual red dragons um the phoenix the chilins all, all kind of things that we've seen elsewhere in magic but are done in a way that is resonant for the chinese audience that this product is intended for so super cool yeah it's very cool because it's not i mean honestly it kind of shocked me but outside of kamigawa we have not gotten the uh, Eastern Asian style wingless dragon, wingless long-bodied dragon uh, that you'll typically see in anything with with influences from the region. Yeah, it's literally the five spirit dragons from Kamigawa and zodiac dragon from Portal Three Kingdoms. Um, That's it <laughs> for for as large a country as China is and. For how much cultural influence it has on the region, magic has done almost nothing with Chinese-influenced fantasy. We don't get a whole lot of non-Eurocentric resonance in magic, uh, partly because the team, you know, it's it's a game designed by Americans for a majority Western audience. But I'd like to think that this product and specifically this world and these two planeswalkers are something that will influence magic's future as 
it really embraces the fact that it is a global brand. So one thing I wanted to note is I really liked two things about the set that it used all Chinese artists mm-hmm. uh, and act and um, Chinese as in Chinese nationality, just not Chinese ethnicity, and that it used the English names are translations of the Chinese names and not the other way around, which was very cool. Yes, the, there's um. So for example. The card nine-tailed white fox, which you know the multi-tailed foxes are uh, an auspicious beast in both Chinese and Japanese mythology. That is a blue card, even though the word white is in the card name, which is something you usually wouldn't see in Magic. But because of the resonance from the source folklore and the Chinese card naming. It's getting translated literally into English, so it's pretty great. And Mowu turns into a giant three-tailed <laughs> monster dog, and is also adorable at the same time. It's fantastic. Mowu is amazing, and I want to find out how uh, Yangu transports him between planes. If he transports Mowu between planes, I have my theories, but we'll we'll have to see. I really want to see Yangu show up in the main magic story at some point because that means mowu will show up in the main magic story and then we can just have <laughs> mowu in standard and be great yeah it's unfortunately not in standard unless you're in china yeah that's some bull crap <laughs> if you watch magic mics you've you've uh, heard evan Irwin go off on this almost every week uh it's just it's dumb I don't know why they did that. Just make it standard legal everywhere, and it's not confusing for anybody. <sighs> so my hope is that uh, one of the next global series is one faced uh, based on Indian lore. I don't know whether or not Wizards of the Coast has a Indian regional office, however, so you might be better suited looking at where Wizards has foreign offices that could help coordinate these global series uh, because that is likely where we're going to be seeing future ones from so you know japan uh, certain south american countries uh, russia there are a few others i don't i don't remember them all offhand okay so with that of the way we already have some previews from core 2019 because there was like a 60 card dump they surprised <laughs> us with that we so yeah this week we thought we were gonna have nothing they ended up announcing that the story was starting this week and that there would be uh blake specifically said a smattering of previews and i don't think that means dumping 60 cards on us on monday by the time you're listening to this there probably would have been awesome reveals over the weekend at gp vegas good call we have not seen those yet I'm pretty sure it'll be like a Nicol Bolas Elder Dragon creature card. Maybe some other Elder Dragons since last Damn, time. Damn, you know it's going to be the spicy stuff. Yeah. Well, because they revealed the Amonkhet Dark Gods last time. so Yeah. Which was awesome. Hopefully we don't have to, like, get 30 people to rip open a sand tomb. <laughs> that turned out to be a lot more difficult than they thought. It's going to be a giant stone egg that you have to pry open. Oh my gosh. So the the story is by uh, fantasy author Kate Elliott. Yeah, she did a nice little interview on Weekly MTG, the new uh, magic live stream show that debuted. Um, so we'll link to that on uh, Twitter. So she, she th- seems very enthusiastic and very excited that this is now public, so... Um, and, and she, she's been great interacting on Twitter also. So it's been good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the story. Do we know how many episodes it is? Eight. Eight. Yep. We've seen a Nicol Bolas championship mat that has no gem of becoming. He looks more draconic. It looks like a Dominaria background and it has a landscape orientation. And from all these things, we suspected that it's going to be a creature card. Yes. It seems very likely that there's going to be a creature card with Nicol Bolas on it. He's even breathing fire, which is, this is the first image we've ever had of him breathing fire. He does it in the novels, but 
like people have asked me multiple times, hey, Nicol Bolas is a dragon, and we know he does psychic stuff, but can he breathe fire? The answer is yes, he does it. Just it's never appeared in the cards, and now it's finally going to be in the cards that he breathes fire, which is neat. A weird note on the gem of becoming is that it's not the card gem of becoming. That's not the thing between his horns. That's the thing between the horns on the plane chase plane, um, Bolas's meditation realm. So. He's got an egg there, and then he's got an egg between his horns that went missing. So, who actually knows what the deal is? There was a whole article dedicated to explaining what it was, but it was an Arcana article. So they're like, hey, look, this is where it was set. Who knows? And there's nothing else about it. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, this is what we know. And it was three sentences. The timeline of the egg was that it showed up post-mending. And then Sarkin went back in time. And somehow the egg was between Bolas's horns pre-mending. So I guess it was around pre-mending too, but we still don't know what it is. Yeah, the reality is it was a art affectation added for Shards of Alara. Uh, it was not in any of the descriptions in future in Time Spiral, Future Sight, or the Legends Two series. Yeah, I mean, Hedron started out as just cool concept art. That's how it goes. Let's talk about Vivian Reed. Uh, she is a planeswalker from the plane of Scala, which Nicol Bolas apparently destroyed. She is a, I'm going to butcher this, Smaragdi ranger druid, uh, armed with an arc bow, which seems to preserve the essence of the creatures that she captures with it. I'm not really sure what the metaphysics behind the arc bow are yet, but it seems interesting. And it's got some very cool like ghostly spectral green images going along with her. She can summon the spirits of animals. Her plane was destroyed by Bolas, which gives her a whole lot of good motivation. And uh, if anyone's wondering, she is a greens planes, green planeswalker, right as the Gatewatch has lost their green planeswalker. And it is a green planeswalker with a grudge against Bolas. So I think we'll be seeing more of her very soon. And that kind of ties into what we saw in the pack art. We saw Tezzeret and Liliana, who are currently known to be Bolas pawns. And we saw Sarkin, Ajani, and Vivian, who seem like three people who have it out for Bolas. <laughs> like, if Ajani went out and, you know, didn't grab Planeswalkers the first time, but went out again to grab Planeswalkers, then he could have easily grabbed Sarkin and Vivian, and that would be a start to fighting Bolas, even if they're walking into a trap, it's still more planeswalkers on their side. Yeah, and it seems like a likely way for Vivian to get in the story, and he has a very easy connection to Sarkin, because Ajani knows Narset through Tamiyo, and their whole group that meets up on Kamigawa, so he's only a couple degrees of separation away from Sarkin, who probably still hates Bolas and probably needs something constructive to do with his life now that he's brought dragons back from the dead um it it was uh we did see sarkin's planeswalker art in promotional materials uh thanks to will blanks on twitter for pointing out that he does have the blue streak in his hair so this is representative of sarkin as he exists now uh after the whole concept tarkir timey-wimey thing mm-hmm yeah I wonder if that is Tezzeret on what did we decide on that timeline wise where Tezzeret was when he's in that art on Alara? That is his Agent of Bolas art. So is probably Test of Metal. Um, <laughs> it's like his uh, his Scars of Mirrodin era outfit. Yeah. So like Dark Discoveries, that kind of thing. It's interesting because we actually didn't see him on conflux Delara. he had been on esper he had been on grixis and then he pieced out to ravnica and kamigawa and other things for consortium missions but we didn't know that he had been back to alara since it's confluxed so now we know hmm. I w- you know what i wonder if he met up with brea and that's why he knows how to make ethereum <laughs> you're just looking for a way to get that uh test of metal out of canon Hey, any any moves we can make to push more and more of Testamental out of canon are good moves. 
<laughs> so, uh, did one of you want to talk about patient rebuilding? Yeah, so this is kind of a bola set, and so there's we've we've seen obviously he's in the key art and we's on the championship playmat, the store championship playmat for, for Dominaria, uh, which features art from the next set. Patient rebuilding is a card that shows the moment after he assaults the city of Noctomon on Amonkhet, and he's rebuilding, obviously, as the card says, the entire civilization for his whims. So um, there's this awesome reflection in the Luxa River. So Bolas is surrounded by kind of the ruins of Noctomon, and then the, the reflection in the Luxa shows the pyramids that get rebuilt and the big bolus horns he puts on in the distance that can be seen from anywhere Noctomon because it's an enchanted illusion. So it's cool to have that kind of story moment in art on a card, which is something we had talked about that this set could do and corsets in general as they go forward can give old story moments this kind of treatment. So I, I, I just think that's awesome. And then did you want to talk about the Onaki? Yeah, my boys. My boys from Chandelar. We missed you, Onaki. So we've had one card depicting an Onaki ogre, and that's the the legendary Kirkesh, who is a spirit of an Onaki. And I think it's implied that he's the one who crafted the chain veil that Liliana now has. And Liliana met him after returning to Chandelar to try and get rid of the veil, and that didn't work. But we've never seen the living, a living Onaki on a card, ever. So this is the first card that's ever depicted an Onaki ogre, and has great flavor text that reminds us that, you know, most ogres in the multiverse are just dumb as hell. But the Onaki are really smart, and really good artificers, and they're very strong, and they're very mean, and you don't want to mess with them. Even though this is just a vanilla 4-2 for 3 mana, <laughs> which is kind of disappointing. But uh, I think it's very cool to finally see one on a card. I hope there's more someday. I hope, uh, I hope this set's story gives us the moment of their destruction and confirms that it's Bolas, because that's what seems likely. Um, and I would like to see, I just, I want, I want to see that confirmed. I'm hoping, um, because I want to know who killed all the Onaki and why they built the chain veil. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions there. I've had Onaki questions for, or just so origins was three years now. So three years. So there's a card take vengeance. It's a white sorcery that destroys target tap creature. And it shows an angel, basically shooting a heat ray through the middle of a demon. But the demon has a pauldron with a head on it with two horns on either side oh, yeah. that mm -hmm. look like the Onaki tusks. It does. It looks a lot like that. Why would a demon have an Onaki head on its pauldron? Well, the main villain from the old Chandelar game is a demonic planeswalker named Arzakan, who happens to have this tie to Chandelar and the area where the Onaki catacombs are, and maybe has some link to the Chained Veil. We suspect his skull is depicted in the art for the Chained Veil's card. I'm very curious what that is all about, or if I'm just grasping at straws. No, I think that's a reasonable conclusion. It could be that there's we know a lot of people tried the chain veil and got cursed over the years. Obnixilis was one of them, so this could easily yeah, we, be we know the chain veil turns people into demons. That's what happened to Ob, he was a human. It what started happening to Garrick. So I wanna see if uh if there is a Chronicle of Bolas that tackles Chandelar. Because I think we'll we'll learn a lot. Yeah. So the the last two we want to talk about today, and don't worry, uh, previous seasons coming up, we're going to be talking all about a lot more cards once we have more context. Vampire Sovereign and Sovereign's Bite both feature Queen Leanne, uh, who is a Asian woman who uh, is a vampire and looks badass. Now, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I think we suspect that Queen Leanne might be 
one of the uh, earlier queens of Torazon, 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 uh, on Ixalan, um, and that she, I don't know, might die at some point in the past, but it would make sense if we are doing a Bolus schemes, a Chronicle of Bolus style set for us to see the Ixalan of the past when Ugin and Azor might have been setting up their plot against Bolas. All right, so with that, let's move on. Uh, today we learned a lot about Elder Dragons, so we're going to have Carrie recap what we already knew. Nothing. That's <laughs> um, The end. Moving on. So Elder Dragons specifically were explored, aside from Nicol Bolas, who got explored in the um, Legends trilogy, throughout the comic series that exists around 1996-1997. But specifically, the very first instance of them chronologically was Gaedron Dehada and Dakin Blackblade's um, mini-war that they had going on. And Dehada had two other dragons under her, um, Chromium and his mate Piru. And Piru ends up getting killed by Dak and Blackblade, hence the flavor text on um, the Blackblade Reforged. But Chromium moves on in life and goes to kind of um, harass his sister and side with humans in their continuing scuffles with humans. Um, So Chromium and Palladia are kind of hiding in a cave. Who knows why? Actually, it's just story reasons and um, a girl from a town on Dominaria wanders into the cave finds them they try to scare her off and she's like nah I'm actually good I'm just gonna sit here and chill with chromium and so she talks to chromium but then the whole town comes looking after her Um, the town wizard is an ass and wants to fight dragons so he declares war on dragons and uh, Palladia kills hundreds of people but eventually, the town wizard is actually able to put Palladia to sleep. But it's an enchantment with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you need to perform a ritual called the Tickery to keep the enchantment around. So they have to perform this thing called the Tickery. And there is a man who is very, very dedicated to doing the Tickery, and his name is Ham. Like, the food. <laughs> so the long story short is that Vivictus Asmati, or Asmodi, whichever, ends up tracking down where Palladia is and is put to sleep and is manipulating a commander of an army to, one, take over that town or kind of take up residence in that town and, two, start drilling down where he knows that she is sleeping under the ground due to the enchantment. Um, He successfully does this and, like, upon the first strike into the ground, the enchantment breaks and Palladia is woken up. Then... Um, Vivictus reveals his true form. He was a dragon whelp, and now he's back to full elder dragon form. And they just kind of go hog wild on the town. And well, you have to go hog wild when there's a guy named Ham around. Yeah, and um, <laughs> but turns out Ham is actually Chromium Ruel, and <gasps> was keeping his sl- sister asleep in that cave because he sides with the humans. He was um. He wanted to protect them after hundreds had been killed by his sister Palladia, who kind of just killed or murdered the entire town after um, they started attacking them. But they're elder dragons. It's not going to hurt them. Um, but in the end, Palladia is put back to sleep. Vivictus vanishes and Chromium um, gets to live on his life. But the end of Chromium's story is near. He ends up being um, an apprentice to a planeswalker called Farallon. And... Farallon, who is known for the Summit of the Shard, where he grouped up a whole bunch of planeswalkers and then tried to start shit so that he could escape the um, Shard of the Twelve Worlds. And he does successfully, but in order to escape the Shard of the Twelve Worlds, he needed to harness the power of an Elder Dragon's death and also possibly Ravidel's death. But Chromium is killed in the crossfire with um, Lashrak and Tevishzat, and yeah... It was a pretty sad story, and off-screen, this entire time, our, 
off screen this entire time, Arcades Sabbath is killed by Lushrak, I believe, um, by process of elimination. We didn't know if it was Arcades Sabbath or Nicol Bolas until the Legends trilogy came out and said, like, hey, Nicol Bolas was alive. So can't do that one. Yeah. Um, so Lushrak summoned Arcades Sabbath, and it was Christina of the Wood who killed Arcades, but because he was a summon uh, from Lushrak and forced to fight her. And in Christina's defense, she apologized. She did. <laughs> Chromia, Chromia didn't have a beef with her. He blamed Lashrak. Christina does her best throughout the entire series. but um, yeah, This is another episode of the Vorthos cast where we remind everyone that how... Christina is the best. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because some of the rules that were laid out during that time were a little... This is past the point where sparks are acknowledged in the canon, so planeswalkers kind of have more definitive roles, less definitive roles, but it was also transitioning from the era of any mage who is powerful enough can become a planeswalker. Um, the Elder Dragons, in the end notes of the comic, it mentions that the Elder Dragons, um, the Elder Dragon Chromium, was working with Farallon to hopefully end the shard because he wanted to escape the shard himself which is interesting and also probably contributed to a significant amount of the confusion and speculation that ensued on whether elder dragons could move across planes and in addition to other flavor texts rejected flavor texts and notes that people had again the fan and around the elder dragons just kind of um, snowballed into what we see today where some people were upset at the story but so yeah the comics surrounding them came out like 22 years ago yes it was just the thing that we're trying to keep canon was 22 year old comics because that's what's important not to retcon and a lot of the metaphysics surrounding them is from you know, like a editorial panel at the end of the comic, not in the comic itself, exactly. or it's from someone's third, a, a big fan's third party website with information he got from the writers at the time. You know, it's not hardcore canon. But that ends the story of the non Bolas Elder Dragons. Um, but before that all happened, we got today's story which um, kicked it off on Tarkir if Jay wants to take over. Okay. So today, first of all, can I note that we got named stories back? That's so, right. So I was talking about this in the Vorthos server before. I was like, there's the upside of having the stories named blandly, like Return to Dominaria Episode 1, Return to Dominaria Episode 2, where people can join in on a specific story and either read behind them or read in front of them. But also... That's a little dry. I enjoyed having um, Magic Story for the four or five years prior where we had named stories um, that weren't exactly as trackable. But in this case, they've kind of solved that problem by having the little ticker on the website where you can click on the specific stories in order to read them. Very helpful. And they've also cleaned up the website, as Andrew pointed out today. So I'm excited. So they are making slow and steady progress and improvements, I think, on the on the story, um, or at least on the quality of life around accessing the story. So anyway, this core 2019 story is called Chronicles of Bolas. I'm sorry, did one of you want to say something? Uh, I was about to say, this story is titled Chronicle of Bolas, the Twins. Chronicle of Bolas, the Twins, right. And it's a very apt name, as we'll learn. So the story is really, it's a story within a story. There is a Tarkir framing story, which takes place about 18 years after Confall. So for those of you who aren't up on your Tarkir lore, so uh, 1,280 years ago or thereabouts, Nicol Bolas showed up on Tarkir, snapped Dugan's neck, and left him for dead. The dragon storms went out of control, and the dragon lords took over. Uh, the dragon lords around it took them about two ish years 
to take over. It's not a very long period of time. Uh, and that happens in a story called Confall, where all the cons finally, the, the holdout cons finally submit. Yeah, so there's five dragon clans and five human clans, or humanoid clans. There's humans and Naga and Avon and whatnot, all at war with each other. The Confall is the event where the humanoid clans, so that's the Abzan, the Jeskai, the Sultai, the Mardu, and the Teemer, realize we're not going to win this war against dragons. Freaking dragons everywhere, just popping out of the sky. So we're better off joining forces. So that's what happens. And they merge into the Dromoka clan, the Odutai clan, the Silimgar clan, the Kolagon clan, and the Atarka clan. And the Khans are no more. Their old ways of life are forbidden and... Everyone that's tells this myth about the Khan of Khans, the Sarkhan, who is Sarkhan Vol, who went back in time and made this whole thing happen by keeping Ugin alive. And the only reason they told this story is because the only person he interacted with at the time, Yasova, had to have spread it. So let's we we pick up with this pair of twins, one of whom is a shaman, which is outlawed under Dragon Lord Atarka. Humans are not allowed magic. Uh, and they're sure, certainly not allowed the shamanism that uh, really made up the Temer at the time. So the this one young girl, one of the twins, she ends up getting a vision from these elementals called the Wind Folk that the Temer were very close with. She goes to bring it back to her grandmother, and it turns out her grandmother is... Yasova Dragonclaw, or was Yasova Dragonclaw. Now she's just Yasova, because the title Dragonclaw was stricken by Atarka, and anyone who uttered it was put to death. Which means eaten, because they're dragons. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> right. But so... also, um, R.A.P. for Anchin, or Ankin, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yasova's saber cat. Who, who doesn't appear in the story and I guess is presumed dead. He was big and fluffy and you... 18 years is a long time for a cat. Well, they're big saber cats. They could live long. You don't know. They're magic. It's still very sad. I mean, like my wife's cat lived for like 20-something years, but he was powered by hate the whole time. So so anyway, uh, Yasova receives a... V- the I'm sorry. Yasova's granddaughter imparts the vision from the wind folk. And we get the get to the meat of the story, which is the Ur Dragon. And I have to read this opening bit because it was it's real good. so cool. There is a shadow, a great shadow. It is not clouds, nor is it night. Ripples sweep across the vast airy gulf of the sky. The shadow is a magnificent creature, terrifying and dark and powerful, and it is blind. Or maybe it was born in a place of blindness. <laughs> Go once more. I just ruined the whole thing. Born in a place of blindness and does not know how to see. Its wings beat storms through the heavens. Out of the storms fall giant egg stones in different colors. So this is the Ur dragon. In case you didn't get it when they said the Ur wings later. This is the same uh, powerful divine essence of dragon kind that we talked about a little bit uh like a week or so ago and um the one we got a card in for commander 2017 it's the progenitor of all dragon kind and so the elder dragons are the first generation of dragons to descend from the ur dragon i guess on its first pass through dominaria at this point what is neat is it references that the original Elder Dragons were born out of a sort of dragon storm as well, caused by the the beat of its wings. So I thought that was pretty cool. And they all land as giant egg stones. They're not really eggs. They're like, I guess, curled up dragons that manifest. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. It's so magic. They're, like these, they're these egg stones, but they unfurl into the actual dragon. Like magic. Like magic. It's there magic. We go. So the first one is Arcades Sabath, 
and the story notes that dragons name themselves because they would never give someone else power over them and they know who they are from the start. That's important for a little bit later. Carthus knows that. (laughs) The second one is Chromium Ruel, uh, which is good because back in the old comics days, there was some confusion as to whether or not Chromium was the name of one dragon or several dragons. And so now we know Chromium Ruel is the same dragon, elder dragon that we see in all the comics. And the original card. That was the other issue. Because Chromium's card is just named Chromium, but then the comics, the character is named Chromium Ruel, and sometimes referred to as Ruel, a Chromium dragon. So it was very confusing (laughs) about what that was. But this story clears it up and confirms that this is a single entity named Chromium Ruel. Chromium is immediately inquisitive, uh, which I like because Chromium's a, uh, a a very heroic character in the comics. Also the get... blue-centered Elder Dragon. Right. Then we get uh, Palladium Moors, who is the red-centered dragon and very violent. Uh, or no, is she green-centered? She's green-centered. She's, yes. she's Nyak-aligned colors. Uh, and she, her first thought is, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, but then these three see two more eggs that fall to the ground dead. And the description makes it seem like they create a volcano because they create a crater at the peak of a, of a mountain. And my first thought when I saw this was thinking back to the Shiv creation myth from the first eruption which at the time we looked at it and we're like, oh, the Shiv believe an egg created the volcano and blah, 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 and dragons were spawned from it. Which <laughs> like, makes sense. Like, cosmic eggs is a is a common origin story in many world pathologies. So it was like, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, Shiv and creation myth is kind of similar to world mythologies, but doesn't really link to anything we know about. But I guess joke's on us, because it was kind of hinting at this future event, I think. Because I also agree with you that this is very similar, because they talk about them falling into a crater in, like, a perfectly shaped mountain. And, like, we know Shiv is, like, this huge mountainous island with volcanoes, and it's the heart of non-elder dragonkind on Dominaria. So it seems likely that if two elders died there, that... Maybe that's a reason that the land is so imbued with red mana and angry dragons. So then uh, Chromium gets distracted because he sees a second cluster of eggs he calls cousins. And we should note Vivectus Asmadi uh, is a definitely a cousin to the others. They refer to Vivectus that way in the Elder Dragons comic. So it's likely that Vivectus is part of the second cluster of eggs and that there are potentially more, but we'll get into that in a second. Like it Piru. could be Piru, right. Piru is another elder, the one referenced uh, by all the Blackblade stuff, because as Carrie just mentioned, mentioned, she was killed by the Blackblade. She got got. She got got. So they all get distracted. Arcades sees like buildings or unique structures off in the distance and goes to investigate. Which makes sense because Pal- Arcades is the white centered dragon. So Palladia see a gets city. hungry. <laughs> Palladia gets hungry and goes hunting. So uh, then we're left with the final two eggs, which kind of get ignored. The first one introduces a brand new elder dragon, Moravia Saul. But don't get too excited because she almost immediately gets slaughtered by a group of bipedal hunters. I'm not sure they're supposed to be humans. I think they might actually be like elves or something along those lines. Because it doesn't humans are supposed to exist. Yeah, I don't think humans are supposed to exist yet. It could be the Numena, but it's like a minor thing. It's a very minor thing. Well, the Numena were were people before they stole the primeval dragon's powers. Yeah, could be them. You don't know. So the last egg unfurls into two dragons, and it's Nicobolus and Ugin, which is... Whoa. <laughs> um, honestly, like, 
everything up until this point had talked about Ugin being from Tarkir, but this was such a cool thing that I really don't have any problem with. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked last week about retcons that make your story way better than it used to be. So we've we knew in Tarkir's uh block that Nicobolas and Ugin were rivals and basically dragons of equal power and equal stature. And or but we didn't know why they were in this feud and why Bolas had to come down to Tarkir to smite Ugin and then we learned in Ixalan that Ugin had this whole plan to kill Bolas, and we didn't know why this whole thing was a thing. And if it was just two rando dragons who were mad at each other, eh, that's kind of, eh. But come on, this is this is fantasy. This is uh, a genre that is so imbued with fate and destiny and divine connections between individuals to make them both not, not only just full-fledged elder dragons of the same lineage but to make them literal twins you know the the ultimates on their both their first planeswalker cards are mirrors of each other um it's so good it's so the literary blood in my veins is like pumping it ah so excited (laughs) so i should note that a lot of people over the years have had a lot of speculation for their relationship down to when we first got the who's that Pokemon look at Ugin from the Fate Reforged key art that uh, a lot of people were like, oh, well, that's Bolus's silhouette. So it explains a lot about why they look the way they do and why they look so similar is because they're twins. Yeah, that was a lot of the difficulty with any kind of theorizing that went along with. Ugin as an elder dragon was one we were told in the concept or the Tarkir block planeswalker guys that Ugin was native to Tarkir but two they look so similar that it kind of made sense and since we heard Ugin was native to Tarkir it was either that Bolas was native to Tarkir too and somehow of the same brood or they just really 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 lucked into looking like each other for story reasons. So I'm glad it's cleaned up fully. Yeah, and it this confines the Elder Dragons that we know of, um, at least of, of this generation of Elder Dragons, to Dominaria, because um, Ugin does create his own Elder Dragon offspring on Tarkir later. But um, this ties Ugin to that same lineage and erases all confusion about where the hell he came from. So, backstories are great, and retcons that make your story so much better are great. Doing this is, like, the ideal way to do it, I think. What's also interesting is their first words are, Bolas is, I'm stuck, and Ugin is, ouch. Because they fall uh... down the side of a mountain. (laughs) And baby Bolas gets stuck under trees, and Ugin smashes his head and starts to bleed a little. So what's also interesting is that they name each other. Ugin calls him Nikol, and Bolas calls him Ugin, which, you know, we just talked about how dragons mentioned that they would never let someone else have power over each other by naming them. So that's an interesting example of the initial power play. I And I got to admit, I first saw this from our friend Zach or uh, Sarkon Volkswagen online. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting point and worth bringing up again. Yes, so, literary. Literary. These things matter. Word choice matters. Events matter. Ugh, it's so good. Like, it, it's it's just such a quick moment. And so subtly just establishes that these two dragons are going to hate the hell out of each other for <laughs> 30,000 years. So, you know, after the events of watching, uh, they're unable to save Moravia Saul. Uh, Bolas desperately wants to, but they can't get to her in time. Bolas gets very angry that these little peons killed such a magnificent creature. Uh, And so the two of them, from this first instance, get very well defined. 
For Bolas, it's all about survival and dominance. He decides that he is going to be the hunter rather than the hunted. And for Ugin, it's all about discovery. He gets caught up in the what lies beyond, the majesty of the world. Uh, but his one of his first thoughts is, where did our progenitor go? What's beyond the sky? And so, you know, Ugin already has his head's head essentially in the clouds and wants to go on a path of discovery. What I love is that Bolas and Ugin watch their sister die, and their personalities and reaction to this same event are so radically different. Bolas is so angry, but even like like so so we talked about the Elder Dragons are all the original five were three colored and but they, they were centered in a color. Bolas is the one centered in black of uh pragmatism and dominance. So he he's angry and thinks like I could just kill every one of these hunting dogs and it would be so easy. And but he also understands that like like he has a moment where he kind of empathizes with the hunters and was like they worked really well together and were able to overpower someone stronger than them and they were just getting what they think they could get at the moment so he doesn't bl- like he doesn't blame them for killing his sister they just had that ambition and that's what drives Bolas later whereas Ugin is like look there's nothing we can do to save her just accept fate move on let's find our siblings and let's go ponder the universe. Everything in this story just leads to exactly where we are now, and it all it all just makes sense in this beautiful literary moment of this same childhood event. And I just love this so much. So real real quick, Andrew, do you want to talk about eggs? Yeah. So it, uh, it's important to note that going through the story, we can kind of track like that first clutch of eggs, but we see other clutches and um, we conveniently get name dropped six of the seven survivors of the Elder Dragon War. Um, Arcady Sabbath, Chromium Rel, Palladium Ors, Nicobolus, and Ugin. So that that's five of the seven survivors. But they did have a war and you can't, you know, a war with only seven survivors isn't going to involve, like, eight or nine individuals. So we know there's probably a lot more Elder Dragons that came and were born out of this event. Um, so don't get too picky about, oh, only these number of Elder Dragons hatched. There's probably going to be a lot more. And then the story kind of wraps up. Um, some dragons, you know, the vision ends and... Uh, at the end of the vision, the baby Ugin looks, you know, kind of does the office look at the camera thing and says, Yasova, you gotta go to my grave on Tarkir. Um, and some Atarka dragons show up and we're like, you better not be practicing magic. And Yasova's like, oh no, we're just, we're, you know, we're hunters. We're on a hunting party traveling, we're just passing through. Uh, you know, you know, we have these goblins you want to eat and we got these goblin corpses. Uh, you know, take this as a snack and we'll just be on our way. Uh, and then the story ends with Yasova heading to the grave of the elder dragon that she was manipulated into killing, even though he's not really dead. So, so let's talk about that elder dragon. So we now know that Ugin is from Dominaria, was spawned by the Ur Dragon with the other Elder Dragons, is an Elder Dragon in every sense of the classic Elder Dragons. So what was he doing with Tarkir? So my imagining is if we're going to keep true to the spirit of his connection to Tarkir, is Tarkir maybe an artificial plane? He created to experiment with creating his own dragons is it a plane he just showed up on one day and said hey the conditions are great here to try and repeat what my progenitor did and birth fresh dragons from these storms so what do you two think it'd be an interesting possibility um i'm always in favor of more planeswalkers creating more planes but i like tarkir as it is either way if it was artificial, if it was natural, we know that he did his 
work successfully there to create the storm, so yeah. It would make sense if it was artificial, though, because he kind of does seem to be the soul of the plane in um, the dragon storm sense. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of how they described him during the block, um, on, especially on Doug Byer's uh, Tumblr, that Ugin is kind of a critical component to Tarkir's ecosystem. And I think that potentially points to it being a plane he creates, but it also makes sense for him to have found it and kind of established himself and inserted himself at the core of that plane's metaphysics. Because that's kind of what he did to Zendikar. Uh, he he could have, if, if he was capable of creating a plane like Tarkir, couldn't he have just created a prison plane for the Eldrazi? Couldn't he just have created a prison plane for Nicol Bolas? But no, he showed up on Zendikar and said, oh, by the way, Nahiri, you got to watch over these uh, cosmic monstrosities that I'm going to be playing in your home. And then he <laughs> went to Ixalan and said, all right, Azor, got to give up your spark, but I'll come back for you. And that didn't happen. Um, so I think it's also perfectly in his MO to have showed up to some plane that, you know, like you said, Jay, was... Uh, had the right conditions for his experiment um, because the myopic scientist doesn't always consider the little people he might crush in his godlike experiments. So my other thought is that maybe it wasn't an experiment, but Ugin deliberately building up the forces he would need to defeat Bolas, which he almost does if it wasn't for Yasova. Yes. The, uh, the dragons are a huge asset to him. And he has Nebolus basically on the ropes until Yesova casts the spell that turns them back on Ugin. So the mention of the Ur-Dragon in this, and I, I tweeted about this, reminded me that uh, there was another interplanar embodiment of a primal force back in Commander 2017. We got the Ur-Dragon, but we also got Arabo, which is the Roar of the World, which is the essentially the cat Ur-Dragon. And the reason it it came back up for me is because back at the very beginning of Alara's story, Flight of the White Cat establishes, it, this is a webcomic, establishes that the humans of Naya are after any white cats. And it's weird because the white cats aren't very common. Like, uh, Ajani is a very rare basically albino cat from uh from naya my thought was i wonder if bolus because the implication is that bolus is the one who who gave the humans this instruction but at the time a johnny wasn't a planeswalker he was just kind of a nobody and it was only basically this hit out on white cats that led jazal to bolus's plot which ends up getting him killed which kicks off the main Alara story. So my thought was, what if the Ur-Dragon had a rival, Arabo, and Bolas was afraid of it or its influence, and just on like random planes, sets, or planes where he has uh, uh, plots, and they're like sentient cats, he just like sets up hits in advance, just in case... A white cat shows up, which might be like the will of Arabo or something. I don't know. This is kind of a dumb theory, but I really like Arabo. And now that the Ur Dragon has showed up in a story, I want to see Arabo matter too. <laughs> That's pretty I'll be much honest. It. it explains more of the white cat, um, the white cat mythos than was ever explained before. Because currently, as it stands, it's kind of just like, yeah. Johnny was just kind of bullied by Bolas before he was a planeswalker. Before Johnny was a planeswalker, he was bullied no by reason. Bolas for no yeah. reason. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. So it it would make more sense in this light, but also um, that's two interplanar spawning beings um, that don't qualify as planeswalkers. So. I don't know. I'd well, like to keep that number walkers. low. They're I said forces. that don't qualify as 
planeswalkers. I'm yeah, just I know. saying it like I would like to keep that number of non planeswalker beings low for Fair reasons. Enough. Yeah. So uh another question is the what do you think we're gonna see of the Elder Dragon War? Are you think we're gonna see the war itself? Are we gonna build up to it, or is it gonna be like next week? God, I damn well want to see something about the Elder Dragon War. I just I didn't, wanna know. I didn't think I genuinely didn't think they were going to go this far back to, like, the birth of the Elder Dragons. So the field is just wide open in my mind. I asked the author on Twitter who her favorite Elder Dragon was, and she said to pretty much stay tuned and ask her at the end of the story. So that either implies it's it's Vivictus or some other Elder Dragon character that we haven't been introduced to yet. So introducing more seems like it naturally leads to the conflict and honestly kind of backfilling these big story moments that we didn't have explored that well before is satisfying it's, how much have we talked about the elder dragon war in just this like 20 episodes of this podcast yeah a fair amount <laughs> like a, whole, it's, a lot oh it's an we, event that we just didn't know anything about we knew that there were five survivors which isn't even true anymore. There are at least seven confirmed. So my question is, uh, last question before we wrap up, uh, other planes we might see. So judging by the new cards in Core 2019, it looks like Alara, Ixalan, Chandelar, Kaladesh, and Zendikar and are Dominaria. all options. And Dominaria. But we've already seen Dominaria in the story. That's why I left it off. Fair. Like, I wonder how many of these are going to factor in as we go forward. The one that's really intriguing to me is Kaladesh, because maybe we'll find out why Bolas knew there would be planar tech there, interplanar tech there, and uh, Chandelar to see exactly what Bolas's role might or might not have been in the destruction of the Anaki. I just, I just, I want him to have destroyed the Onaki. I want him to have discovered the Chain Veil. I want him to have discovered that the Chain Veil was not a good thing for him to try and use. And I want him to discover Lim Dual Spirit. Even if it's so, not called out specifically. Even if it's just like an oblique one line something reference. Something that like only like the three of us would notice. I, even if it's that small, I like. I want it so bad. I don't think it's going to happen, but I just so want here's, it. Here's the thought for you. Bolas discovers Leshrac is responsible for the death of Arcades Sabath. He decides he wants to mess Leshrac's stuff up in vengeance. He obviously cares about vengeance for fellow Elder Dragons. He goes to Chandelar to recruit a former minion that could give him info on Lashrak and help him eventually defeat Lashrak. But he gets interrupted in the process. And Limdul gets transported. The Onaki get destroyed. Limdul gets rescued from his imprisonment and then gets taken to Dominaria. Alright, but Bolas... then but then why hasn't Bolas destroyed the city of Lesh yet? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know, I was just spitballing. For me, I could not care less about Bolas being involved in the Ravenman plot or any potential limb duel. Like, I'm fine with him destroying the Onaki on Chandelar, but I kind of want that to be the beginning and end of his involvement in anything Ravenman or Chainvale related because, honestly, everything's tainted with Bolas or Bolas schemes kind of, mm -hmm. like, seeping into it, and I feel like we know that this is being set up for some kind of a reveal with the Raven Man and possibly the Onaki later on. It would be much more satisfying to have it be a relatively clean slate than, oh, Liliana falls to the Raven Man and the Raven Man gets to take over because of something that Bolas had arranged in addition to the yeah. deals and in addition to every fucking everything, other thing that he had done. <laughs> It would be the last long-standing plot line, and it would be a Bolas-referenced one. Like, 
of yeah. all the things that were introduced in the first few years of Magic Story and have been running ever since, the only one Bolas didn't have a direct involvement with was the Chain Veil. So I'm hoping he didn't like create it or anything. Like at most, I would just I would be okay if he destroyed the Onaki and that was it, and that he Which wasn't seems behind to be implied the Chain Veil by the Onaki even being in this set. But who knows? He could have not done that, and it's just a plant for. It could still have been Liliana. Yeah. Okay, so last thoughts. Andrew. Uh, I really like Ugin a lot, a lot, a lot, and I'm so happy to see Ugin stuff back in the story. All right, last thoughts. Carrie. Nicol Bolas hasn't been to Chandelar. You know how I know? Because I filled in every single Planeswalker page on the wiki with planes that they have been to and Planeswalkers (laughs) that they have met. And I also filled in every plane page with planeswalkers who have been there. So you should go check that out because I spent the last three days doing that and mapping it out so that we wouldn't have to again. (laughs) All right. And this has been the Forthos cast. Thank you for listening.